in your uh, Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 is where we'll continue our series. Last, year, or last week we asked the question, uh, who do we say, uh, Jesus presents the question, who do you say that I am? And uh, that was met by Peter's response of an affirmation of Jesus' identity as uh, the Son of God, as the living God, as Lord and Messiah. And it's that is a foundational statement of our understanding of our identities together in Christ. There is uh, then in the series of questions that Jesus presents, there's quite a few questions. I've selected four because I feel like they are important in our understanding of who Jesus is and his power and his working in our life. These four questions that we'll walk through together help us to understand our identity, but also turn our trust and our life together with Christ uh, towards him and his power and his leadership. And so I, uh, I hope that it's an encouraging sort of little sidebar from our Exodus series that just kind of reminds us of who we are in Christ and who he is and our sort of foundation. If you would start with me uh, with prayer. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and our minds today to know that we have no reason to be afraid when we have faith in you. God, help us to see this in our own lives and our walk together as friends and family. Lord, that in the face of doubt and insecurity and fear in this world and the chaos of today, Lord, help us to see you and seek you with our whole hearts. We love you and we praise you today. Help us to hear from you now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Lindsay, you may want to close your ears for this story. I'll let you know when it's over. Uh, when I was a little kid, just we lived in the woods. Uh, we we lived. <laughs> we that came out wrong. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I grew up out of the country, out of the city. We had uh, we had our house was set in the woods. And I lived in the house. I played in the woods, and uh, we had just forest all around us. We had state forest across uh, across the lane from us, and we just spent all our childhood playing, making trails, digging holes. Like we had a low or a high water line, so like if you dug three feet down, like you could have a gigantic puddle to play in. And so mom loved that, and uh, so we just spent all our time outside and. One day I was playing out in the field, and I was coming in, uh, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, my shoe's untied. And I bent down, and I went to tie my shoelaces, and I picked up the lace, and it wasn't a shoelace. It was a little gardener snake, and it scared the crap out of me, <laughs> literally. And, uh, you know, and I just, I just started sprinting home because it, like, the shoelace started moving, you know. And uh, I was just so afraid, so afraid. And all right, story's over, Lindsay. You can listen now. Uh, she has this thing about those little slithery things. But, uh, uh, you know, so I, I got home and I told my mom what happened. And it's like my mom was like, that thing was completely harmless. Like, why were you afraid? And uh, I was afraid because the shoelace wasn't supposed to move like that, Mom. And so, you know, I was 18 and I could have done better. But uh, <laughs> the... Uh, the, uh, but that's, that's, that, uh, that's that fear, you know. Why are you afraid? And today's story is that sort of question. Why, why were you afraid? Why are you so afraid? And our story uh, picks up in Matthew 8 and verse 23. 
And when he got into the boat, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Why are you so afraid? This is one of those questions where the tone sort of means everything. Like if Jesus yelled, why are you so afraid, that might take on one meaning. Or if he sort of gently says, why are you so afraid? It's all in the sort of tenderness or the exclamation of the message. And I think we find Jesus' words and his tone would be the sort of middle sense of the word. It's as pastoral as he could possibly say it. Whereas he, he is questioning the lack of faith, but at the same time gently reminding them of his faithful presence. Why are you afraid when the one who created the heavens and the earth is with you? And to drive home the point right then and there, Jesus, he calms the storm, Jesus rebukes the wind, and he calms everything around him. As readers, as we engage this text in understanding of the story of God, we get caught up in the whirlwind of God's incredible story. The one who has the right to, the one who it is solely possible to stop the wind, part waters, calm them, it resides solely in the creator God. Only he has that strength and power. Only the creator God can do it. And here he is, right there in the middle of the boat, in the flesh, right there in the midst of the storm with them. And so the pointed question of why are you so afraid kind of comes at them with a question of their loyalties. Where is your loyalty? Where is your faith? What is it that you trust in? Why are you afraid? It can also be asked, where is your faith? What are you trusting in? And so for many of us, the answer to that question has been, what? To what are you trusting? And it's often, I will trust in myself. I will control this situation. I will handle it. I know what is best. And when we freak out the most, it's when we realize that we don't have the control that we once thought that we did. It's hard for us because we have control of most everything in our life. We have an app for everything, we have, and we have Google for everything else. We can control the temp of our houses now from our phones from miles away. We can even change the lighting in our houses from our phones so that when we walk in, it can have the right ambience. I know that really matters to all of you. We can control seemingly our whole lives. And so we have grown to think, or so we have grown and become accustomed. We think, I can handle this. I got this. I can do it by myself. We all become sort of like those infant children that when they start discovering things and their own fierce independence, they say to us, I can do it by myself. Do you remember those days if we had toddlers? That was when it was a joy to spank them, you know? It's like, no, you won't, right? No, I, that didn't happen. Over the last year, we have had the curtain pulled back on our charade of pride and control. And when things came to a screeching halt and the mirage of control stopped, we didn't like not being in control. We were painfully reminded that the world is subject to the chaos of the world. And we freaked out. But in the chaos of life, 
we must again remind ourselves who is truly in control. We are reminded that there is one who is greater than the chaos. There is one who is setting the world to rights. There is one who, amid the storm of the sea, is greater than the storm, greater than the sea, greater than our despair, greater than our lack of control. And he is the one who is holding us together, and he isn't going to let us go. He holds all things together. And the scripture of Colossians 1 comes to mind in verse 13. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For him, or for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For, by, or for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the challenge becomes for us a question of our own faith. Where last, uh, last week we were challenged with the question, who do we say Jesus is? Today's question is, will we trust? Who will we trust in? Where is our faith? Why are you so afraid? What are you afraid of? If you start thinking seriously about that question, some things come to mind for myself. Hurting my children or really messing them up. <laughs> Hurting someone you love. We fear having a financial crisis. We fear being alone. There are a lot of things that, I, that can stir in us so much fear, and understandably so. But sometimes the, the things, these things become self-fulfilling prophecy. And here's what I mean by that. Tell me if this is true in your reality. In our fear of messing up our children or letting something bad happen to them, we harm them by not setting them free and preparing them for the world. Or conversely, we make tight boundaries and they end up rejecting our care and concern because we fear that they're hurt so much that we sort of tighten our grip on them. The flip side is that there are no boundaries and out of the fear that they will reject us and in that regard, they end up still rejecting us because they don't know that we love them. In our fear to not hurt someone that we love, we hold back the truth. And the hard truth of situations gets things buried. And then when the truth eventually comes out, well, then the trust is broken. Or perhaps in our fear for financial crisis, what we end up doing is we hoard our finances. And we try to control our finances and hold on to it as best as we can. And in the fear of financial crisis, we neglect generosity. Perhaps in our fear of being alone, we often hide truths about ourselves towards others. So we guard ourselves from others, so we make no relational progress involving, that involves honesty and trust because of our fear over people finding out who our true selves are. And so with no deep relational connections, we find ourselves alone. Our fear causes us to seek 
control, bury the truth, trust in our own abilities, and to neglect the generous ways of the loving God. So we are challenged and we are encouraged by this text to see the wider picture of what is happening with Christ. He is lifting his his disciples' countenance and comforting them to see a truth about the world that before this they did not yet understand. And they express it this way, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They now see a clearer picture of Jesus as the son of the living God. I don't know what is happening in your life, but it is good to ask ourselves this question every once in a while. Who is Jesus and do I trust him? When our life is sort of ramping up in anxiety, take pause and ask yourself the question, why am I so afraid? It would give us just the right amount of pause, hopefully, to consider the situation that you find yourself in that it is not beyond the scope and the power of God to make it right and to work within and bring about peace. That in the face of our fear, the question is, do we trust in Jesus? The response to the struggles that we face is not to cower in fear and hardship, rather, or, or turn our attention away from God and our allegiances to Christ. Rather, when we are afraid, when we, share our, when we stare our fears in the face and we ask the hard question, we should carefully analyze the story of Scripture, the power of the gospel, and speak truth to it. The disciples are afraid of a boat, boat capsizing and they themselves drowning. And in the very real panic of the moment, it becomes a very real possibility that they could die. Our fears become self-fulfilling possibilities. The boat of life always capsizes without Jesus, and he is the only answer. He is the answer. The disciples bring the gospel to it instead of the fears becoming the self-fulfilled prophecy, predicting the worst and seeing it to fruition. Rather, they invite Jesus into the chaos. They say, save us. We are perishing. Jesus changes the outcome of the chaos of sin, death, and destruction. Jesus intervenes, and when he brings order from the chaos, he shows himself God over all of creation. So when I face the chaos of financial pressure, I need to ask the very hard and practical question, am I trusting God with my finances? Have I asked God to wake up to the present circumstances I'm facing? Have I said, God, I'm broke, I need your help. Do we wake Jesus up to the situations that we're facing? And I know the response is that I would live generously and I would know that I have a God who loves me and I can open my hands, open my arms, open my wallet and bless and care for others. When I am fearful for my children, when bad things happen to them or I'm fearful over them or I get angry or upset over whatever's going on or there's something happening that's so beyond my control, I need to give pause and ask, am I trusting in God to lead my family and care for my children? How am I giving my children to Christ? Am I showing them an example of what it means to love the Lord and seek Him? Am I helping them turn towards Christ and seek His Word and seek God's counsel? Am I helping my children turn to the one who can deliver them and help them? Am I waking them up to who Jesus is in their life? When my marriage 
is facing difficulty, when Wendy has just had enough of my attitude, am I turning towards Christ for his forgiveness and guidance and wisdom in my marriage? Am I walking, uh, am I waking him to the chaos in my marriage and asking him for counsel and to, for him to bring order in the disorder? Am I inviting Jesus into my marriage? When you are dealing with the anxiety and struggle of a blended marriage and navigating the chaos of exes, are you trusting in Christ to bring order into the chaos? How is fear dictating your emotions through those difficult situations? How does God call you to love them and point them towards God's goodness? When you face the death of a loved one, when you are hurt and broken over terrible circumstances that have been thrown your way, do you turn towards Christ? Why are we afraid when the one who holds all things together is here with you? We must hear Jesus' reminder for all of the pastoral love that is within it. Where is your faith? We are in a long journey with Christ, and the trajectory of history and the kingdoms of this world are on two different paths than that of the kingdom of Christ. We know that the chaos will come to an end. We know and believe that Jesus will set the world to rights. We know that justice will pour down like rain, that mercy and love will sweep across creation. God will wipe the tears from our eyes and the chaos of the sea will be no more. Jesus will once again reign over and he will calm the storm of sin and death. Because of this truth and reality that we are all well aware of, we function differently in this world, believing and knowing that Jesus is Lord and he is King. The answer to the question is, who do we say Jesus is? informs how we feel right now during the struggles of life. Who Jesus is, who we claim him to be, informs our daily lives in the midst of fear and anxiety and the hardship of life. Why are we afraid when Jesus is our Lord and our King? So I invite all of us to simply say, trust in him. Wake him up to your chaos. Invite him into your life to lead you, to care for you, to walk with you. The message is simply, wake Jesus up and tell him what is wrong. You have nothing to fear, for Jesus is Lord and Savior and King. His kingdom is not of this world. And so the chaos of this world will not shake it. One day, the sea will be no more. And the storms will have been calmed. And you will have life with your king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Remind us constantly, Lord, of your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we face trials. We face struggles with our family, with our friends. Lord, we deal with loneliness and anxiety. We face death. It's all around us. And Lord, there is so much pain in this world that it's very easy to be afraid. It is natural for us, God, to have anxiety over all that's wrong and all that's happening around us. But Lord, 
your son was in a boat and he was asleep in the midst of the chaos and his friends woke him up. And so God, as friends today, we ask that you would be aware of our circumstances. That whatever we're going through individually or corporately as a church, that you would be attentive to the concerns of our hearts today. Lord, our faith is in you. And we're waking you to the situations in our life because we know that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the answer for raising up our children. That Jesus is the answer in our marriage. Jesus is the answer in our conflicts. Jesus is the answer in our loneliness. Jesus is the answer in our hurt and our suffering and our sadness, our grief. Jesus is the answer. His love and the cross and the hope of salvation is the answer. Remind us that every day, God. To speak the gospel, to speak the truth to what's going on in our hearts and our minds and in the world. Lord, that we would know that you're with us and you love us and you've forgiven us. Give us confidence and courage to walk with you and to know that you are king. And Lord, we look forward to the day that the storm would calm and the chaos would be done. That you would set the world to right. That your justice and your mercy and your love would fall down like rain. It would wash over creation and it would wash over our souls and our minds and our hearts. Lord, that we would have peace, wholeness.